Hi, this is Rohan Sikri. I'm the CEO of Xander Investment Management. We're a private equity firm that is a fiduciary for international, global, institutional investors investing in emerging markets and real estate in Asia with a big focus on India. I'm passionate about creating things. They could be physical, they could be financial, but the creativity element and creating something, watching it grow and harvesting value is something that I'm super passionate about. Welcome back to the Word Bold Podcast, where we chat with the leaders in commercial real estate to answer all questions of space as a service. This podcast is for anyone involved in commercial real estate in any way. If you're an investor, a fund manager, developer, property manager, agent, or broker, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Welcome back to the Work Bold Podcast. I'm Morgan Piersdorf, and this is episode eight of season 10 of the Work Bold Podcast. This episode, Caleb had the chance to sit down with Rowan Sikri, CEO of the Xander Group, who was at ULI to mix things up a bit, providing an Asian markets perspective at the conference. He picked up on some interesting themes in Madrid, including a global inward shift that will likely accentuate over the next decade. Though return to office is strong in Asia, it's still not at pre-pandemic levels. According to Rowan, that points to need for a change in thinking, and that means differentiation, in particular in an area near and dear to the Work Bold podcast, brand. Rowan let his passion for creating shine through on this subject, citing the ongoing transition from B2B to B2C and its requirement for placing priority on the user experience. A great conversation ahead. As always, if you have any questions or feedback or topics you want covered, reach out to Caleb on Twitter at Caleb underscore Parker or send him a DM on LinkedIn, where you can also find me as well. Now, on with the show. You may have seen our headline sponsor, Delta Q, just raise 8 million euros to fund their international expansion. Delta Q is the leader in reducing energy consumption and CO2 emissions in the commercial real estate sector. Later in the show, we hear from Delta Q's UK director why this is important for our industry. Now, on with the show. Jeff, let's kick it. Welcome back to the Work Bowl Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and today I'm sitting with Rohan Sikri, who is senior partner of the Xander Group based in Singapore, but he's also CEO and executive managing director of Xander Investment Management, which is the private equity real estate arm of the group. They currently manage over $2.6 billion in assets, and Rohan chairs the investment committees for all Xander fund vehicles and the credit committee for Xander Finance. In 2005, he co-founded Xander's India Investment Foray, overseeing a diverse $1.5 billion equity investment program spanning office, retail, hotels, residential, and industrial real estate across direct acquisitions, development partnerships, and platform joint ventures. The portfolio has seen profitable realizations exceeding $1.6 billion and continues to deliver value. In 2010, he co-founded Xander Finance, the group's credit platform, where he has served as chairman of the board for over a decade. He established the group's Office Core Plus strategy in 2014, which attracted capital from global pension funds, sovereign wealth funds, and other financial institutions. The strategy has progressively grown to 12 million square feet and 1.3 billion in assets under management. In 2019, Rohan initiated the group's industrial real estate strategy via a joint venture with an established European financial institution, which presently comprises a 250 million pan India portfolio of logistics and industrial assets. 
Rohan's also a board member of Virtuous Retail South Asia Private Limited, a Singapore-based retail lifestyle developer owner-operator formed in 2016 as a joint venture between Xander Retail Partners and a European institutional investor. Welcome to the Workable Podcast, Rohan. Thank you. Nice to be here. Nice to have you here. We, last time we spoke, you were in Boston. You know, I was in Poland uh, the week before that, and now I'm in Spain, and I thought I traveled a lot. But how many cities have you been to in the last week? Well, last, last week was a bit of an outlier, but I was in five, five cities in different continents last week. So it was a bit of a trek, but it was fun. Amazing. Your jet lag and your body clock must be all over the place. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of used to it. Okay. Well, you look very bright today. And I guess, you know, obviously we're sitting here on the red couch at the ULI conference in Madrid. What sort of conversations are you having this week? Well, you know, really interesting conversations, I think. Uh, you know, what ULI stands for, obviously, is very topical with the discussion that is that is happening here about sustainability, clean energy, net carbon zero, etc. I mean, of course, that's up front and center in, in most conversations. But we're also obviously talking about where the world is today. I was at the Capital Markets Forum yesterday. Very interesting conversation on where the world is. Some unprecedented things happening now that we've never seen before. Things like inflation, interest rates, and just where the world is, the geopolitics, you know, which is a huge play here. And I think one theme that, that you know, is resonate, which we perhaps all know, but which has resonated with me here as I think about it, is how the world is changing from being less global I think economies, I don't want to use the word close, but are more inward looking on a relative basis. And I think the narrative that I'm seeing here, including some very interesting data points with some of the presentations that were made, is that they foresee that trend to continue. So I think we've got to arm ourselves and tighten our seatbelts and effectively expect that in, in the next decade or two for that trend to accentuate and basically plan for it. And whether it's life or investment strategies, it just needs to become part of your day-to-day -day fabric. So I think that's a, that's a very interesting takeaway that I have from this meeting in Madrid. Well, maybe this question will be better asked in, in a few weeks when you've had time to reflect, but I'm going to ask it now to see what you think. So how, how do we prepare? How does an investment manager or investors, how should they be thinking about a, a, a world that becomes less global? So I think, firstly, this is a great time to ask the question because your prima facie thoughts without thinking too much about it might be a little more genuine because that's, you know, what's coming to your mind first. But I think, look, uh, uh, it will define on the geographies that we find interesting to invest in, right? I think that's automatically happening. I mean, I, you, we can see that with several geographies. The cross-border sort of capital flows in certain situations are getting restricted, Two certain geographies that are politically sensitive, you know, guess the names, I won't name those countries, but that's already happening, right? Now, from an expertise perspective, your ability to operate in a market, and real estate, by the way, we do real estate investing is a very local sort of, I believe you need local expertise if you're going to be an operator. We are an investor operator, right? So we have set up local operating expertise in, in India. We operate all our assets and our businesses. And that, I believe, is our edge. And just on that, so you're here at the Europe conference from India because you have the third-party capital that you're helping invest into India. Is that accurate? Well, I'm here as ULI. I'm also the India chair for ULI. So I'm here to, to, to help with the ULI agenda. I mean, to be honest, I'm here because I was going to be in London anyways tomorrow or later tonight. So I, 
I got a request from the ULI folk that they wanted, you know, a different Asia perspective at the Europe conference. I was happy to provide it. And I think from what I'm hearing after my panel is that it is something that people were not really very familiar with and appreciated the Asia context as Asia is gaining prominence just generally as an investment destination, operating destination. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just here to give a different perspective. And okay, so from that perspective, if I just kind of go back to the question about it becoming less global, then do we sit back and are we waiting? See what happens? Do we or do we go on the offense? You know, what's what is the strategy coming for, for 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 a less global world? Yeah, so I think like a point that I made at the Capital Markets Forum yesterday when we were talking about geopolitics, and we were talking about how disconnected even global firms are from their outposts. Right. If you're an American firm, are you really in sync with your Asia outpost in terms of investing and what have you? And, you know, and this is not me. This is that room of global senior leadership saying, yeah, it is disconnected. Right. So what do we do about it? I mean, isn't it the uh, responsibility of the leaders of these global firms to be more in sync? But it just doesn't happen. Right. So that divide is obviously there. So the next question was, where are capital flows going to come from? Everybody believes capital is fungible. It's cross-border. I, you could be American capital investing in Asia. You could be Asian capital investing in the U.S. and vice versa, Europe, etc. And is there a case with this dynamic that is brewing is where capital starts becoming very local as well, right? So we already talked about real estate expertise and operating expertise being local. Capital was global or at least pretended to be global. And is are we going to see a changing trend where capital starts becoming local as well, which means Asian investors understand Asia the best and will invest in Asia, right? The U.S., maybe not so much. I mean, I'm just giving you examples. I have no, I don't, I have no empirical evidence so, right, to prove any of this, but it's just, it's just from conversations and discussions, even at workplace at ULI, events like this, where you get a sense of what's coming. Would that mean that the reverse of that would mean that international investors would divest from their foreign markets? That's a one end of the spectrum. I think it's a bit harsh that it would happen to that extent. But I always make statements on a relative basis, right? If there's a trend today relative to 10 years ago, is it more or is it less? So let's talk on a relative basis. Let's talk about your trend line. Yes. If you're talking about the, 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 the inclination of a trend line, I would say yes. If we say, is it going to go to zero? I would say no. Does that make sense? So maybe if we dive a little bit deeper on investment strategy and whether we're looking at global capital or not, there's other trends, macro trends that are happening across the globe when it comes to the way people are working, particularly around office real estate and, and working from home and, and working in a hybrid capacity and its effect on office. Is that the same trend line that's happening in Europe and in North America? Is that happening in, in Asia as well? Well, Again, on a relative basis, if I were to say, is it happening more in Asia than it is hap- than it than ha- than it was in let's say 2019 pre-pandemic? Absolutely, it's happening more. Right, return to office is strong in Asia, but it's still not at 2019 levels. The propensity for companies to have their entire work- workforce in the office nine to five, five days a week, is not there. Right, so I think that's one point to sort of think about. Uh, on that point, so does that then, when you're looking at allocating capital to office real estate and thinking about the investment strategy, does that point change anything in the thinking? Yes, I, absolutely. Absolutely it does. I mean, if you were 
if you were sort of investing in an office commodity product, right, let's say in the mid-90s to the mid-2000s, so even to the mid, let's say, to 2015, it was an accepted kind of investment strategy. Now the question on office is, what's your geography, right? Where are you investing? What is the use of that infrastructure that you're investing in? What clients and companies are you catering to? What do they do? What does their workforce look like? So there, there, are, there are like a hundred more questions to answer today, right? Than there was, than there was maybe ten years ago, and there are more questions to ask, which is what is the quality of the asset? Is it is it high on the ESG curve? What services are you wrapping around your product? How are you catering to your clients? I mean, if you're a sleepy landlord today, you're dead, right? It's not a passive asset owning business anymore. Yeah, so I, I think the whole approach is different. Now, broad-based, broad the asset class is the same, right? But with all the bells and whistles and all the wrinkles and all the complexities, it is a different investing style today than it was, than it was 10 years ago. So, for example, if we didn't have the setup that we have currently, the ability to operate, the ability to brand, the ability to provide ancillary services to our, to our, in our office parks to our clients, I don't think we'd be doing this. So the differentiator needs to be there. Since we're talking ESG again, let's pop over to Adam Gadiali, Delta Q's UK director. Adam, the Workbolt audience is made up of office real estate professionals spanning 50 countries. Tell us a little bit about your international expansion plans for Delta Q and why that's important for office buildings. Reducing energy consumption is a major challenge for real estate organizations especially since the sector is responsible for nearly 30% of the European Union's carbon emissions. Delta Q is a purpose-driven organization and we partner with the largest real estate companies in the world to fight climate change and to help our customers towards net zero carbon with our triple strategy. This is what we like to call Map Plan Act. Thank you, Adam. More on Delta Q's triple strategy later in the show. You said two key words in that last statement, brand and differentiator. Are those two linked together? Yes, because, because I think, look, what is a brand? A brand is where your potential customer expects a certain level of goods or service or both to be delivered. Somewhat take it, takes it for granted, right, at a price. Now, when you brand something across a portfolio, that same customer knows that they are going to be provided that product, that level of service, that level of trust, right? Which, which I think is becoming more and more important in this new world. 100%. 100%. It's not a commodity anymore. So I always ask people who work, you know, who I work with, right? My colleagues. I'm like, are we in the brand business or are we in the commodity business? And I personally don't like to be in the commodity business. So if we're not building a brand... Or if there is no brand association with what we do, if it was up to me, we won't be doing it. I love that. Anybody that listens to this podcast knows that I'm a big believer in brand. My hashtag on LinkedIn is always brand matters. Okay. Um, so I love everything you're saying there. If I, if I go peel that back a little bit, go deep here, specifically around office investments, how does that brand manifest itself in an office investment? So firstly, we have a brand around our office parks, right? We've developed a brand. We've, I think it's still early days. I think that the client expectation of delivery of goods and services more to do with the umbrella brand at this point in time or 
Oh, you know what I mean? Like Xander is a firm, but Xander is a private equity firm. But Xander is not the brand. Xander is not the brand. No. Yeah, our brand is X Office Parks for the office product, right? Which is which we've done a lot of hard work to start developing and and but do follow us on LinkedIn, by the way. And we'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, and that would be great. And and so it gets the world to see that this is what this this platform stands for, and this is what we can expect from the platform. However, I have to say that the office business traditionally is a B two B business. And I'm of the strong opinion that it is actually transforming into a B2C business. What does that mean? That means that, of course, we engage with large corporations to sign them up in our office parks. But we have to remain very cognizant of the user experience, which is their tenants, sorry, their employees, our tenants' employees, what their experience is entering into our office park. What do they feel? How do they f- do? They feel attached to the brand. Do they like what they see? You know, when they are when they are you know visiting our food courts, how do they feel? How are they served? Do they feel like excited about being in the park? All these are very very important parts. You know, apart from the whole convenience element of it, which is let's take that for granted. I'm talking about the ancillary wrap of services that occurs right, which is more consumer touching. You're touching the consumer every day. As a asset owner, you have to be conscious of that. So I think we have, all of us are becoming a little more aware that this is really an important element of the product and the brand. I agree 100%. And I, there's nothing you said there that I disagree with. It's as if, and I promise you guys, I have not given him any notes telling him what to say here because you've heard me say this before. I, I wonder from your perspective, because you have you've created the brand yourself but in your uh, managing investments, but are, there are other investment managers, other investors who... They don't want to get in the, in the brand business. They don't want to be operational, but they want to partner with. So are you seeing now the money look for specific types of brands to invest in? Look, I think sources of capital, which is the LP world, honestly hunts out investment managers and sponsors, right? I think that's, if I were to, if I were to sort of give my point of view on the subject, I mean, they're not in our case, they, I mean, yes, it's nice to have ex-office parks. They would look at it. They would say, okay, this is a great product. But they're investing in a Xander-sponsored fund. That's what I think that's what they really care about, right? How do we run our funds? How do we run our business? This is a nice to have, right? Now, maybe, I don't know, but maybe there will come a point in time where they will say, no, we want to invest in ex-office parks. And by the way, that would be music to my ears. Or they might say, we don't want to invest in that because it isn't the profile that we're looking for. It could be the other way around too. It could be the other, but then they won't look at doing an office fund with us. They won't look to partake in one of our office fund vehicles. My point is, is they, they might actually say, I want to invest in X office and not invest in another brand because they like X office and what you guys do or vice versa. But I, I think that's where the brand differentiation. Absolutely. So from. you can access X office let's say sometime in the future, if that's really the hook, let's call it a hook, right? If that's really the hook for an investor, then they say, I want to invest in X office. And if you want to invest in X office, you have to come into a Xander sponsored vehicle that will then own assets, which are run by X office parks. So remember, we're, it's two different businesses, if you ask me, right? Uh, and we're very conscious of that. The investment management business is a Xander sponsored business. It's about making good investments, actively managing the portfolio and achieving good exits and returns for your investors. The ex-office parks brand is an operating brand. There you are client-facing. Your client there is the customer who pays you rent or money, right, to occupy your infrastructure. 
So you are catering to that service, right? You're, 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 you're front-facing that, that client and you're basically trying to optimize your services to that client so that you can have repeat business and enhance revenues, et cetera, et cetera. So there are actually two different businesses. That's, that's what very, very well articulated. And, and I think this is the future. That vertical alignment, though, between the two businesses is... It just so doing. happens that we own both. Yeah, yeah. But you have to be conscious of the fact that they're two different businesses. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think we'll see more of that in the future going forward as, as the brand becomes so much more important in office real estate. One last final question for you before you get on a plane. Looking forward, coming out of this conference and, and looking at the challenging times ahead, uh, what are you most optimistic about? I'm optimistic about the fact that there is this community out here, which I think is a highly innovative community. And what I get to see in ULI, you know, all the stakeholders, very smart people, very innovative people, very thoughtful. And across services, right? I'm not talking about just investing. I'm talking about all elements of the industry. And, you know, real estate is a fascinating industry. Right? I can see people here. The industry is such, it just attracts a lot of passionate people. Because, like I said, you're creating things. You're touching people's lives. You know, you are hopefully making money. All of that helps. And there will be solutions to these problems. Now, you may call me the internal optimist. I guess at some level we have to be. But I honestly feel the world has seen cycles and we've gone in and come out of cycles. Good portfolios are built in bad times. So if we work with that theme, then we should all put our heads down, be thoughtful about what we're doing and try and go back to doing good business. Great words of advice. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're a busy man. I look forward to seeing X Office Box in the future when I visit India and hopefully we can stay in touch as well. Absolutely. Well, you know where to find me if you're ever going down to India. Let me organize that for you. Excellent. Looking forward to that. And thank you for taking the time. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in. And until next time, take care of yourself. Before we close this episode out, a final update from Adam Gadiali on Delta Q's triple strategy. As I mentioned earlier, everything we do needs to help the commercial real estate sector drastically reduce its carbon emissions. That's our purpose. We start with connecting building portfolios with our AI solution and commit ourselves to clear results, which include CO2 and energy reduction, operational efficiency and comfort optimization. Firstly, in order to reduce the building's energy consumption, we deploy our technology across building portfolios. We do this by mapping the building through a digital diagnosis or creating a digital twin of the building. This also includes precise local weather forecast and occupancy data. Secondly, through planning, which is where we conduct a physical diagnosis of the building with our HVAC and BMS specialists to ensure that the availability of data is as closely aligned with reality. From there, we identify building and system anomalies, build a roadmap towards savings and advise on the carbon return of retrofit investments. Thirdly, by taking action. This is where we take both digital and physical data and automate repetitive savings through our AI steering of the HVAC systems. That's our triple strategy. There you go. What an important purpose. Be sure to visit deltaq.io to learn more and listen to episode eight this season where I got to sit down with Delta Q's CEO, Khadija Nadia at MIPM for a deeper dive into their purpose of helping the real estate sector on the road to zero. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And remember, fortune favors the bold. Drum roll, please. P.S. If you want to find out about future-proofing your portfolio, head over to newflex.com.
should start a podcast. The ears are so much less crowded for competition than the eyes. Plus, we can take our podcast and make articles, newsletters, and social media content and get more awareness and organic traffic. Said every business owner ever, before realizing it's too much work and nobody can find the time. Look, we get it. Who has the time to work out what mic to buy, what software to record on, where to get ideas, and how to promote the show, let alone how to edit? But here's the thing. Nobody needs you to do that anymore. It's 2024. We are living in the future, my friends. Showrunner has made it easier than ever for you to start your podcast. In fact, we can make anything a podcast. Typing. Yes, typing. Just send Showrunner your best performing articles, blogs, and newsletters, and we will make them into a podcast with your voice. Yes, we can clone your voice in under 20 seconds. Or different voices. Roll call. Pick me. Pick me. I never get picked. What about video Zoom calls? Send your interviews that you have recorded on Zoom to us and let us make engaging podcasts. And your webinars? Send them to us and let's turn that into a podcast that gets you more awareness. And if you want to be more like podcast talent, Showrunner will make you a full script with a jingle, an intro, an outro, and even help with those clickbait titles that get all the clicking and sharing. We will show you what people are looking for in your niche and even help with content ideas too, as we are human friendly. And just like that. Welcome to the Daily Download, the podcast where we summarize the day's most fascinating podcast episodes into bite-sized summaries. Find out in just a few minutes what the whole world is talking about. We did that. Ain't that cool? We can send you the podcast and show you how to upload or do it for you. Then let Showrunner promote your show through its algorithm so you are heard by more of your ideal customers. Then why just be heard? Let Showrunner make visual content too. With audiograms and video snippets you can share on LinkedIn, TikTok, Twitter, sorry, X, threads and more to get you more audience and more customers. Oh, and how could I not mention, have a global audience? Why not publish in other languages? Non c'è problema. And all this for one flat fee, so no surprises. You can freeze or cancel anytime. Go to showrunner.com today to book a call with Jason. That's S-H-O-R-U-N-N-E-R.com. 